part of this message uh, from last week that talks about Jesus talking to a crowd and his disciples. And he said, anyone who wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow after me. Uh, Jesus isn't giving us the terms of the way we have to be for God to save us. Okay, self-denial has never saved anyone. Uh, walking away from the altar of self-centeredness has never saved anyone. The only thing that saves any of us is the blood of Jesus. What Jesus is talking about here is our life after we come to Christ. What does the disciple's life look like? What is the evidence that you've given your life to Christ? Mark eight thirty four through 38. Um, and from our view down here, when Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. From down here, it kind of looks like we're getting the, the raw end of the deal, the short end of the stick. Uh, because when we talk about giving up who we are and our opinions, our views, our identity, our dreams and things like that, it's like, well, man, I, what do I get in return uh, if I don't get to do the things I want to do and uh, the things I want to pursue? Uh, and as we take the rest of this passage, Jesus is, is giving a description of what does the alternative choice look like if you don't deny, you don't pick up your cross and you don't follow him, you don't follow him then, then what would it look like if you chose not to? What would it look like if you chose to say, oh, no, Jesus, I'm good? Verse 35 shows that Jesus knows how hard of a concept that surrendering ourselves to him truly is because he gives a paradox. He gives a statement that's, that, I mean, just look at it. It can be both true and false at the same time. Uh, and a, a paradox, uh, there's one of my favorites is George Orwell's uh, use of a paradox in the movie, in the movie in the uh, book Animal Farm. He said, all animals are created equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Uh, that is a paradox. If it's equal, then it can't be greater or it can't be lesser. It's, it's literally equal. From our view on earth, it looks like we, we're losing it all. We don't get to be ourselves. We don't get to pursue our own dreams or our own will. But from the view of heaven, when we, when we surrender to him and deny ourselves and carry the cross and follow him, what we can really do is we can be who God created us to be. We can be that person who's walking in the faithfulness of God. We can be following him not out of, oh, I don't know, not out of desperation as much as devotion. We follow him because uh, we love him. And here's the thing. You can deny Jesus all you want. You can fail to confess your sin. You can fail to profess your faith in Jesus. And you can live your life just fine. But know this. When you die, you lose your soul. If you act like there is no Jesus, there is no Messiah, there is no uh, reckoning, then you better be sure of it. Uh, if you live your life for yourself uh, at the altar of, uh, of self-centeredness, when this life is over, you're, you're done. But if you give your soul to Jesus now, as evidence of placing your faith in him, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I need you, forgive me of my sin, I want to deny myself, carry my cross, and follow you. If that's the case, then... Your future's bright. I mean, you, you get to keep your soul for all forever. And if you, side if you decide instead to cling to sin or selfish ambition or the acceptance of this world, you know, we want people to like us and we want, we want to be on the right side of history or whatever, whatever that may mean, uh, you're going to have a 30, 40, 50, 60 years of life. And you can get all the money you want and all the wealth you want and step on necks all you want and be as mean and honorary as you want so you can get ahead. But at the end of the day, when you give your final breath and your heart beats for the last time, understand something. You better have enjoyed those 60 years because you're going to be 
without your soul or without the presence of God forever. So is it worth it? Matthew 7 verse 13, Jesus literally tells us that most people won't go down the road that he describes. Most people won't deny themselves, carry their cross and follow him. Most people will, know, will not do that. In fact, Jesus says, you know, the, the gate and the road to destruction is wide. Everybody's going to hit it. He said, but uh, the, the many people entering through that gate, many people are going to go that gate, not the gate of Jesus, but another way. But here's the thing. The only way that leads to where at least I want to go and spend forever with God is, is through Jesus. Verse 37, Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain? And by the way, what good is it for a woman? What good is it for a person? Okay, if that bugs you up. So what good is it for a, a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? By the way, that word soul, the church says soul. You're going to see the word soul and life used interchangeably. The Greek word for that is psyche uh, or psyche. And it's not talking about psyche in the, friend, uh, in the sense of uh, Freud. You know, uh, it's not that. What psyche is, is your soul, the immortal part of you, the part of you that lasts forever. Uh, and I'm just going to give you some Fogerson philosophy here. You know all that internal dialogue you have in your mind all the time that tells you you shouldn't do this or maybe you, you should do that? I, I think that that's that part of you, that, that your spirit, your soul that, that goes on forever. And that's who you are. I mean, that is, that is the essence of who you are. Uh, I think that there, that part of us, your soul, your spirit, is eternal. It goes on forever. So when Jesus says, whoever wants to save their soul, your psyche, okay, the, the immortal part of who you are. Jesus says, what good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet you lose your soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Those are two rhetorical questions. And the answer is very similar in both. Jesus says, what good is it for you to have the whole world? And by the way, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, remember the, the first temptation, man, you're hungry, turn that rock into bread. Jesus said, nope, I want to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then uh, he goes on top of the temple and he says, uh, you know, worship me, blah, blah, blah. And then he shows all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, no, I can't do that. That's not me. You could have all the kingdoms of the world. What Jesus is saying, you can have the whole world, but it's still not worth your soul. Not all the souls in the world. He's saying not your soul. So I guess what Jesus is saying, at least to me, is you can have all of Elon Musk's money. You can have all of Bill Gates' money. You can have all of Saros's money. But the truth of the matter is, if you die without Jesus, all that money will not buy you one second out of an eternity in a devil's hell. Nor will it put you one second in a glorious heaven money doesn't buy it money doesn't buy what we're pursuing and and once you forfeited your share in eternal life by denying jesus there's absolutely no way getting it back uh, when, when you cross over the great divide you can't say hey god i made a mistake i didn't know send me back let me do something better let me do something different let me make some some different choices and by that time it's done well, don't you know how much money I have? God's saying, hey, you don't understand what you consider valuable on earth. Gold, I paved the streets with up here. It doesn't mean anything to God. What he sees as valuable is our soul. So the, the answer to uh, Jesus' rhetorical question, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? The answer, it's none. It's not any good. Not for my soul. And then he asked that question, what can a person give in exchange for their soul? You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. Medicalfuturist.com said that most of us have a body that is worth $45 million, considering our organs and everything that's in it. 
uh, there was another site that said most cadavers or most dead bodies are sold for $550,000. I would take that money. The bad news is couldn't spend it because I'm dead, all right? But I want you to understand something. This body that we have, it's going to last us our lifetime, whether we live to be 30, 40, 50, 60, 110, or whether we, whether we die young, whether we die slowly or suddenly, we all die surely. But those years that we have right here, uh, you can't buy back for the whole world what you lose when you die. We can't buy back our soul. The world and all that it contains. And you think about all the cool things the world has. But everything in this world that you and I enjoy, we love, we find pleasure in, we find contentment in. Everything in this world is going away. It's not meant to last. Preacher, I, I don't believe that. Well, okay. First John 2.17 says the world and everything that people want in it are doing what? You don't have to agree with me whatsoever. But it. When you, when you look at the Word of God, I need you to understand something. This is the Word of God. And the Bible says that everything in this world that people want is passing away. But the person who does what God wants them to do lives for how long? You do not have an expiration date on you. But the world does, and everything in it does. And if you're wondering how this world ends, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, you know, back in Genesis, God said, I'll never destroy the, again with the, flood, the world again with the flood. And he wasn't lying. But in 2 Peter, we find out that the world will be destroyed again, but this time with fire. So we have a promise that this world will not last. We, we're even told how it's going to go down. It's going to be burned up and consumed. This world and all that it contains will not last forever. These things we spend all of our, all of our, mind, all of our money and all of our time and all of our effort to, to get, whether it's boats or homes or cars or whatever, things rust, things break, things burn, things are destroyed but Jesus says the one thing that endures forever is going to be your soul, your spirit. In the Greek, the Koine Greek, it's your psyche. There was a Roman emperor by the name of Charlemagne. And this is a cool story. I don't know if it's a thing of legend or a thing of history, but uh, it's a cool story. King Charlemagne died in about 817 A.D. And he left very specific funeral instructions. He said, when I die, I want you to put me in my crypt, put me on my throne, put the royal mantle over me, put the scepter in my hand, make sure my crown is on my head, and put this book on my lap. And, and that's what you know, people thought that had happened. Nearly two, century, uh, nearly two centuries later, there was a new emperor. His name was Othello. And Othello said, I wonder if, I wonder if Charlemagne got his wishes. I wonder if they buried him the way that he wanted to be buried. So he spent, he, he, uh, spent the time, spent the money, sent in a team into Charlemagne's tomb. And when they breached the tomb and they went in with their torches and they began to look around, and sure enough, there was Charlemagne, been sitting there for about 200 years. Of course, uh, it, was a, it was a horribly grotesque scene, but there he was, his, his, his mummified remains, his dehydrated remains just sitting on the throne. And that mantle that they put on 200 years ago, when they put it on, it was glorious and, 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 and colorful, but now it was moth-eaten. The crown is no longer setting on his head straight, but it's canted. The scepter was barely in his hand, but sure enough, there on his lap was the book. The book was the Bible. And the bony finger from Charlemagne's skeleton was pointing to this verse. Probably the, will, probably the world's wealthiest man at that time, the emperor of Rome, get the picture. The verse said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? 
all the stuff that you try to get, all the, the bank accounts that you try to grow, all the investments that you try to, to, to gain, understand something. At the end of the day, you don't take a cotton-picking penny with you. It all stays here. Jesus illustrated this truth in Luke's gospel with a parable about a wealthy man uh, who, who only thought about the present, the right here, the right now, uh, being, uh, finding pleasure in the moment. The Bible says in Luke 12, then Jesus told this parable, there was a rich man who had some land, he grew good, good crop. Uh, he thought to himself, what will I do, man? I have no place to keep all my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my other goods. Then I can say to myself, I have enough good things stored up for the rest of my life. Now I can eat, drink, and be merry. I don't got to worry about nothing. I got this thing on lock. But God said to him, dude, foolish man, tonight your time's up. Your life is going to be taken from you. So who's going to get all the things that you prepared for yourself? Who's going to get all your barns? Who's going to get all your stuff? Who's going to get all this stuff that you just killed yourself trying to get? This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves here, but they are not rich towards God. Okay, these are some pretty heavy comments, and they may be harsh, and you may not like them, but I want you to understand that nevertheless, they're true. Church, to gain the whole world but to reject Jesus is to lose your soul. To, reject the, uh, to, to gain the world and reject Jesus, you lose your soul. But to give up everything this world has to offer for the sake of following Christ is to gain the riches of glory. There's the paradox. You, if you want to save yourself, you lose yourself. You give it to Him. Y'all, Philippians 3.18, I think St. Paul got this. He said, yes, everything else is what? Everything else is garbage. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded most things? No. Some things? No. A lot of things? No. I have discarded, denied everything else, counting all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Church, we're not losing our life. We're not losing the world. We're not losing stuff. What we're gaining is heaven. What we're gaining is a relationship with Jesus. What we're gaining is living a life where his, we are His feet and we're His hands. We're serving Him. We can die poor in Christ and go to heaven. But if we die rich without Christ, we will bust hell wide open. And that may sound harsh, whether you're at home or whether you're listening at here. But I love you enough to let you know that it may sound harsh, but it's nevertheless true. George Orwell wrote, I thought of a rather cruel trick I once played on a wasp. This is the, these are his words. He was sucking jam on my plate, and I cut him in half. The wasp paid no attention, merely went right back to eating his meal. So this, this wasp is sitting there, just front legs and sucking the jam. And he merely went back to his meal while a tiny stream of jam trickled out his severed esophagus. Hey, aren't you all ready for lunch now? This is great, yeah. Only when he tried to fly away did he grasp the dreadful thing that had happened to him. Orwell concludes the sentence, the, the paragraph with this. It's the same way with modern man. The thing that has been cut away, and these are Orwell's words, the thing that has been cut away is his soul. Lots of people don't give their soul any thought. They don't give their spirit any thought. They don't give their psyche any thought. Once again, not the psyche of Freud, but the Koine Greek. We don't really give any thought about what's next 
because it's all right here. But here's the amazing thing. We'll go through life and stuff will come into our life, money and favor and prestige and titles and degrees, uh, recognition and respect and honor and things like that. We work real hard on that, but the thing that really matters, the thing that we need most is our eternal soul because that's the thing that will last. Lots of people don't know they're even that they've missed it until it's too late. Church, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but yet forfeit the one thing that he needs most? Forfeit the one thing she needs most. Spurgeon says it like this. If you simply take the name of Christ upon you and you call yourself his servant, yet you do not obey him. Instead, you follow your own whim or your own hereditary prejudice or the custom of some erroneous church. Spurgeon said, you are not a servant of Christ. If you really are a servant of Christ, your first duty is to... I tell you, whoever wants to come after me will deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's what we're called to obey. There is nothing in this world that is worth your soul. Not Jason's soul, not Rachel's soul, not Pam's soul, not my soul. There is nothing in this world that is worth your immortal soul. But I've got good news for you. I've got great news for you. Jesus isn't for sale, but your soul was and is. And Jesus has already paid the price for it. He paid the price for our soul with His life. And the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, to buy Him back. That's us. That's you and me. Since the fall of mankind, God's plan of redemption has been fold, uh, unfolding to redeem and to find each and every lost soul, to rescue them from the bondage of sin, from the wiles of the devil, from the power of your hurts and your past. God bought us back. And church, if you, can, if you can't buy one soul with the whole world, what do we need? What do we need to do? If you can't, if I can't do anything to save my soul, all I got to do is say, hey, Jesus, I don't have anything to buy my soul back. It's damaged. Jesus said, hey, I've already paid the price. As for my forgiveness, I will forgive you. And Jesus traded the most valuable thing in the world for you and me. And that was the blood of a perfect God. God in the flesh. He paid it with his blood. Now, the Bible says that a soul is worth how much, church? How much is one soul worth? What is one soul worth? Everything. I got a question. And this isn't so much a question as it is me speaking to you as your pastor. It drives me crazy when people worried about how much we, we save in the bank as compared to how many get saved. You know, church, if, if one person gets saved with a thing like VBS or Connect Group or whatever we do or passing stuff out, don't complain about how much it costs. Because it's never about how much we save. It's about who gets saved. And church, here's the thing. If this church leads one person to Christ and Jesus miraculously, radically saves them, if we spend all the money in the world, apparently according to the word of God, that was a good investment. Because you see, one soul in eternity is too. Uh, one soul in eternity without Jesus is too much. But sadly, Jesus has already told us most of the people are going to find that road. It's our job. It's our job to be the billboard that says it doesn't have to be this way. There's an alternative. 
Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If anyone is ashamed, church, say ashamed. The word ashamed there means to deny. It means to reject. It means to despise. It means to refuse to accept. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. There was a generation that was spiritually adulterous with God. They wanted nothing to do with God, His Word, His value. Had nothing to do with truth. They were a generation that wanted nothing to do with God. Sound familiar? Oh, that God stuff, that's, that's, that's junk, that's garbage. That was the situation they were in. But church, we find ourselves in the same situation. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And when He comes in His Father's glory with His holy angels. Church, Mark was writing to a congregation, a group of people who, who were battling society. In fact, I believe there were probably some people in that church thinking, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth all the headache. It's not worth me losing my job. It's not worth me getting into it with my neighbor. It's not worth me getting into it with my family. They were just considering walking away. They were thinking, following you, denying myself, picking up a cross. Man, I just don't know about that. And what Mark was doing is he was trying to encourage them in the Spirit, saying, you don't really have any other choice except hell. Church, the only people who will be saved. I like this. This is kind of neat. The only people who will be saved are those who are ashamed of themselves, but they're not ashamed of Jesus. And I'm ashamed of my actions. I'm ashamed of my heart. I'm ashamed of my thoughts. I'm ashamed of all these things. And if we know really who we are, we've denied ourselves, and we realize we're not special, we're not all that. When we get to the point where we realize that we are broken, we are fault-ridden, and there's only one person who can help us. It's not the world. It's not Elon Musk. It's not technology, but his name is Jesus. Y'all, I'm ashamed of myself, but I've never been ashamed of my Savior. I'm not ashamed of my Jesus. In fact, I love Him. I'm going to tell you why. Isn't anyone who's done for me what He's done for me? There's not another person on this planet who's done for me what He did for me at Calvary and what He's done for me since with walking with me through difficult times, giving me peace in the middle of the conflict, giving me courage in the middle of the fear, giving me beauty for ashes. I don't know about you, but I bet your Jesus has done the same thing. Why should I? And here's the thing, man. If Jesus is our Savior and our Messiah, what in the world should we care what the world thinks about us? Or what people think about us? Because it's all going away anyway. The only opinion that's going to matter at the end of the day is what he says about you. And I don't know about you, man. I really want to hear, if not well done, then good enough. Good and faithful servant. I want, to be, I want to make my father happy. Church, to be ashamed of Jesus is to reject him. To be ashamed of Jesus is to retain your allegiance to an unbelieving generation. And if that's the case, then you've done messed up, Aaron. You have to place all your faith in him, no matter what's going on in this world or what the world's saying to you. Uh, in Shakespeare's play, Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1, those great words are spoken uh, to be or not to be. They were, they were spoken by the character Great Dane, Great Dane, uh, the Great Dane. Uh, and what he's saying that in reference to, there was uh, a, a king. His name was, I wanted Claudius. Claudius uh, was the new king. And he found out that Claudius had actually killed his own father, uh, Dane's dad, the former king. And then Claudius married Dane's mom. And what he was thinking about was, committing suicide in protest to what was going on. 
And when he said to be or not to be, what that would mean for us today is, uh, Dane was asking himself, is it worth my life to risk it for the cause? Is it worth my life to give everything I have because of a cause? You know, as a child of God, we live in a world that, I don't think the world hates Jesus, but they hate the church. They don't hate Jesus. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody say anything bad about Jesus. What the world can't stand is kids. And I think a great deal of that's because some of us have not risked it. Because it risks you something to deny yourself. It risks you something. It risks me something to carry the cross. It risks me something to follow him. As a child of God, we live in a world that doesn't even like truth. And we're confronted with a gut-wrenching question. Is it worth me giving my life for you, Jesus, in the kingdom of God? Is it worth it for the suffering and the, the ridicule and, and maybe missed opportunity? Is it really worth it for me to do this? Is it really worth it for me to, to risk it? And Jesus reminds us, even as he talked to his disciples who faced violent persecution and opposition from the religious leaders of the time. Jesus said that whoever acknowledges the Lord before men will be acknowledged before my heavenly Father. I want you to look at that last verse. If anyone denies me and my words, instead you run with this spiritually adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. I'm going to put those in words that I understand. You deny him here, He'll deny you there. You deny him here. He denies you there. So I ask you, I'll ask you, is it worth the risk? It's not for me. I want to press into him. It's not risking doing my own thing. It's not risk. My soul is, not, is too valuable for me to risk to not give up my identity. It's too valuable not to give up my opinions and my views. I want to pursue him. The only people who will be saved are those who are ashamed of themselves now, but they're not ashamed of him. Church, following him and living for him, denying ourselves, carrying our cross. Listen, that's not wasting your life. I, I, Pam and I tried so hard to talk Ridge out of going into ministry. Yeah. Um. And the one word, the one answer he gave us that settled with us. He said, man, are you sure you really want to? He said, no, I don't want to. You've got to remember, that kid grew up. He knows, he's seen the strings, okay? He's seen the strings at the puppet show. He's seen the circus. He's seen the clowns without their makeup. I said, dude, are you sure you, I don't know, there's easier ways to make a living, bud. He said, oh, no, I want to do something else. I don't have a choice. Virgil, that's our choice. If we're truly sold out for God, we don't really have a choice. You know why? Because we've denied ourselves. Because we're carrying our cross. And as long as we're following Jesus, we are following the will of God. Is it worth it? Jesus has already told me what the alternative is. So yeah, it's worth it.
And I got a feeling that when we cross that great divide and we go on home, I think the song that'll be on our lips besides amazing grace is that heaven will be worth it all. How are you doing? How are you doing with your walk? Is this your walk? Is Sunday morning your walk? Is this how you characterize your relationship with Jesus? Is, it, is this all? If it is, it, just, I want you to answer yourself. And I'm not your judge. I got my own life to run and I do a horrible job of it. But are you, are you denying yourself in order to embrace Jesus? Are, are you aware that the struggle's there, that you're in submission to the authority of the kingdom of God? That's what the cross represented. It meant submission to the, the authority of the Roman government. When Jesus said, take up your cross, he's saying, when you take up your cross, you're showing submission to the kingdom of God. And he said, follow me. Jesus always walked in the will of the Father. How's your, what direction's your life going in? And not here. I'm assuming y'all were saints up in here. What's your attitude towards Jesus? Because what you do with Jesus determines what Jesus do. What you do with Jesus determines what Jesus does with you later. If I could ask every head to be bowed and every eye closed. You know, we're coming back into the fall season. And there's so many things that, that we're relaunching or kicking off. Whether it's finding some, somebody, a lady to teach our our, our kids from like second grade on up to fifth grade, we need somebody. We need a couple of ladies who will do that. We need three and four ladies who will do that. And guess what? Not, not, not every lady can do that. But I believe the ladies who can do that are sitting in this room or they're watching us online. We're getting ready to restart. Uh, we're getting ready to restart Pray and Go. Pray and Go looks like one hour every three months where, where you and somebody else, you just kind of walk the streets of Chester and you pray for homes. You don't knock on a door. You just pray for homes. That's our connection. That's, that's us going. That's our connection to the, to the city of Chester. Well, preacher, that's, that don't make any sense. That's not a big deal. Who cares? Here's the amazing thing, church. We've had about 10 to a, we've had 10 to a dozen people who've not ever darkened the door of this church, but they found a hanger on the door, and they said, hey, I appreciated your church praying for me. I just lost my mom. Could you help me? They affiliate this church. have never darkened the door, but we've connected with them. We need people to do that. We need people who will do, man, we've got all kinds of things to do. All kinds of ways to serve. And if Jesus is your Messiah, not just your mascot, you're going to love him and you're going to serve him. Church, I'm going to ask if you would to simply stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As you're on your feet and your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want you to kind of begin to examine, take inventory of your life. Are you ashamed of him? Are you ashamed of him at work? Do you deny his claim on your life at school? Is he the God of your life, the God of your identity, the God of your mind, the God of your life? 
And the risk is worth it all. Amy, I'm going to have you help me, sissy. In a moment, I'm going to have people come up. And Amy, I want you to come up here and help me because I'm going to have you write some notes for me. This morning, if you would like to commit to, to a ministry, whether it's pray and go. Last night, we had a couple people volunteer to help us with coffee on Sunday morning. Maybe you want to help in the kitchen. Maybe you want to help as we look at how to disciple our, our younger kids. Maybe that's you, man. I don't know. But as Amy's here to help, just if the Holy Spirit has laid something on your heart saying, I know what, I don't know what it is, but but preach, I, I need to get involved here somewhere. I need to serve an hour a month here somewhere. In a moment, then I'm gonna ask you to come forward and just tell Amy, I, I'm here to serve. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus, as I open up this invitation, I do not do it under my authority, but Lord, I do it in the, the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal your purpose, your plan, your will, your way for us, and that your people would respond, Father, in devotion and dedication. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Would you come this morning? I have decided. Come on up, Aim, right there, hon. To fall. Would you come up and tell her right there? Yep. Thank you, buddy. You got it. You can come right now. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. No turning back. No turning. Go with me. Still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. turning back my cross I'll carry my cross I'll carry thank you till I keep that I'll get it for you after service thank you my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus my cross Okay.